The Bruce Hooley Show podcast is brought to you by HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Creating jobs and restoring dignity one cup at a time. Good coffee doing good. Learn more at HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. We start the final hour of the Bruce Hooley Show this week with our friend Jack Windsor of the Ohio Press Network. You can find his work at theohiopressnetwork.com. He and his staff do a phenomenal job, and we're going to get into one of the stories that they have on the site right now that is definitely different than what you've seen reported. But, Jack, let's start with uh, the big story, I think, for a lot of people is student loan forgiveness. What do you see in this issue politically as we approach the midterm elections? I always look at what are the numbers, right? What are the facts? And it is a $1.6 trillion issue. That's the student debt now uh, in the country. And one-third of those uh, in debt owe under $10,000 and uh, half owe under 20000 So if that half is comprised of people who have Pell Grants, then uh, that's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Half of $1.6 mm-hmm. trillion. Dollars. And uh, this will cost taxpayers, uh, at, at the minimum, estimated $300 billion, according to Penn Wharton's business model. And the Committee for Responsible Federal Budget Analysis says that the plan will undermine the recently enacted Inflation Reduction Act by consuming nearly 10 years of deficit reduction, which, by the way, if that were true, I'm not even certain that the um, the Inflation Reduction Act would reduce the deficit or that it would do anything to help stifle inflation. Um, but I digress there. So uh, looking at it from just a numbers perspective, what a mess. Now, we can get into the political argument. I believe that uh, Joe Biden did this going into the midterms as a way to appeal to people who are shaded toward the Democratic Party, which is, according to a CNN poll, about 63% of Americans with post-high school degrees tend to shade blue. Um, That says a lot to me. That says, hey, I want you to get fired up and get out to the polls in November. I think it'll backfire. I'm not certain. Uh, What's your take on it? Yeah, I think it'll backfire because I think it's just uh, it's in some respects a no lose for the Biden administration. They're going to get clubbed in the midterms anyway. So this is a Hail Mary. I think they know it's unconstitutional. They knew the rent moratorium was unconstitutional. The court has a negative opinion now with a lot of Democratic Democratic acolytes because of Roe, overturning Roe. So it's just another opportunity for Biden to demonize the courts. That's his game. He likes to... uh, say that he's a unifier, but nothing that I see that he's done is unifying, and I don't think this is unifying either. It pits the working class against the uh, educated class. So I think it's on brand for him, but I think it's very, very bad for our country. Yeah, and it would be interesting to see, you know, how do you explain this to uh, the, the black male in his 30s or 40s who decided to go to Honduras, maybe, um, or maybe not, and just take some... Um, uh, real estate classes and yeah. became a successful realtor, went out and maybe built a successful real estate agency. Now that person is going to pay for somebody who has a degree in gender studies from Harvard. How, how do you reconcile that if you're the Biden administration? Those are the small cases that I think are prevalent in our, in our country uh, and certainly in the state of Ohio. Uh, there are a lot of people who didn't get a four-year degree, didn't get, uh, you know, a master's degree or PhD, 
and they've worked very hard. And how should that person then subsidize the loan for somebody who graduated from Yale or Harvard or Ohio State? I think people are going to have a hard time with it. Yeah, I agree with you. Jack Windsor's our guest. He's with the Ohio Press Network. Follow him on Twitter at Jack Windsor, W-I-N-D-S-O-R. His site is theohiopressnetwork.com. I don't think Biden cares if people don't support him because he's got the elites and he wants to uh, ingrain himself to the elites, and he will. And he'll be coming to Ohio on September the 9th to take credit for something that I think he had nothing to do with except sign the CHIPS Act, the Intel opening. And I'm curious, Jack. Here's the aspect of this I'm curious about. Let's say you're somebody who didn't take out a student loan, and you'd like to go, and you'd like to hold up a sign, you know, or you'd like to yell something at Joe Biden. When a president comes to visit somewhere, can an average person get in, get close enough to have their voice heard or their sentiment heard? Are signs censored? You've been to these events. Tell me if an average Joe listens to this and says, he's coming, huh? Well, I want him to know how I feel about this, and I'm going to stand on an overpass with a sign, or I'm going to go to this thing with a bullhorn and I'm going to shout my, you know, objection. Uh, what is that unlawful? Can you get arrested for doing that? You know, I certainly don't condone any kind of violent thing, but if you want to go and have your voice heard by the president when he comes to central Ohio on September the 9th, what's the logistical chance, a realistic chance of an, of a regular Joe Ohioan being able to do that? I would say slim to none. And, and, you know, and slim is, um, in really bad shape. Mm-hmm. Um, my experience from the Clinton years, uh, I was a student at Baldwin Wallace College, and uh, Bill Clinton came to Parma, Ohio. And I remember thinking that I was going to tote a sign into that event and do what you just said, which is stand close, hold my sign up. I don't know that I would have shouted anything, um, but my sign was taken, and I was told, no, you're not going to speak out. You're not going to do anything, essentially. Um, I believe it was Secret Service who um, took that initiative. Now, the world has changed since then, Bruce. I mean, my goodness. Yeah. Uh, you know, Now, if I did that, I would probably be tagged in the FBI system as a domestic terrorist. And uh, you know, they'd probably crack open my uh, codes for email and phone and whatever and start investigating me. Uh, no, I don't think that the average person is going to have a chance to be close and uh, express any type of resentment or concern over what Biden has done, or maybe they don't even support the CHIPS Act. There are a lot of people in Ohio who don't. Jack Windsor, our guest, and yesterday Mark Zuckerberg told Joe Rogan that the FBI came to Facebook and told them to censor the Hunter Biden story. Like, it's one thing if Facebook decides to do that, it's bad enough, but the FBI came to them and said, do not allow this story to gain any traction. That's chilling, frightening, but not surprising. Well, I question it, and I didn't dive into the facts of what Zuckerberg said, uh, but my first, my visceral response was, I'm not so sure I believe that, but let's look at both sides of this real quick. Number one, I don't know that I believe it, because Mark Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey and others uh, met well ahead of the 2020 presidential election, And uh, some of the folks they met with are actually now part of the Biden administration. And they made it very clear that we are going to throttle information that goes against getting Joe Biden elected. And we are going to um, make sure that we promote the things, the policies, uh, the stories that will help get Joe Biden in the White House. I didn't say that at the time. 
reporter said that. Molly Ball published the article soon after the 2020 presidential election. So I immediately go, "Mm, maybe Mark Zuckerberg is trying to walk back his behavior. But then let's say that he's not. Uh, Well, the FBI was wrong. They were dead wrong. Uh, What they did was it's, it's just not acceptable. And what the press did was not acceptable. But here we are. And I think what we have to think about is what's the path forward? How do we fix it? How do we make sure it doesn't happen again? Let's dial down from national politics to local. You guys have been on top of the Joe Blystone election situation with the finances and some violations there. You've got excellent reporting on it. What's the latest on that? Is Blystone facing any kind of legal charges? Is there anything he can do to like button this up and um, and make it go away, admit to doing something wrong? What exactly did he do that the uh, people in charge of finding these things have said, you know, look, you can't do this? I think the biggest thing that they're alleging he did was he um, did not properly report uh, campaign contributions and campaign expenses. Uh, one complainant says that he actually illegal tra- illegally transferred some of those um, contributions and used them personally. Um, what's going to happen, it appears, is that the Ohio Election Commission is going to consolidate a bunch of cases, and then they're going to decide how to go forward. Uh, if I'm reading between the lines, this is opinion, not news, but opinion. If I'm reading between the lines after my conversation with Philip Richter at the Ohio Elections Commission, which, by the way, is the group that adjudicates um, these complaints with respect to Ohio's uh, campaign finance laws. If I'm reading between the lines there, he's saying, look, if Joe Blystone closes down his campaign committee and pays a fine, I think that is uh, you know, one way that he could kind of step back from this and, and not – uh, get wrapped around the axle, if you will. Mm-hmm. But if he wants to continue to go forward, um, you know, the, the worst thing that could happen is the OEC could refer all of this information over to the Franklin County prosecutor, and that prosecutor could decide whether or not uh, he or she is going to um, prosecute this for uh, the criminal intent. Jack Windsor, Ohio Press Network. Follow him on Twitter at Jack Windsor. Final thing, I got about 30 seconds. I uh, referred earlier to a story you guys have done that I think will encourage people. You did a story talking with Trafalgar, whose poll on Pennsylvania, Fetterman and Oz, is a lot closer than everyone else is reporting. Yeah, 4.9% is what we're hearing. Fetterman's ahead 4.9%. And look, if you're Oz, you have two things you have to do. You have to connect the dots with voters, that government spending is really bad for inflation, and then you have to get parents of school-aged kids out to vote to offset the strong support that Fetterman has among the aged community. But uh, he's certainly Dr. Oz, that is, uh, still within striking distance in that U.S. Senate race in Pennsylvania. Make sure you're reading The Ohio Press Network every day, theohiopressnetwork.com. That's where you get the real story, not the stuff that's laundered to fit a narrative. Jack Windsor and his staff do a great job. Theohiopressnetwork.com. Jack, thanks so much for your time today. Bruce, thank you. God bless you. We were supposed to get the redacted affidavit justifying the search at Mar-a-Lago shortly after noon. It's now 22 minutes after noon. Producer Pam, you say it's out? I thought maybe it was uh, not out yet because given all the uh, Sharpies that they exhausted in redacting it, yeah. uh, maybe the ink wasn't dry yet. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to try. I, I Unfortunately, I downloaded it on my phone because it's quicker but I can't get it to print. Mm. I was going to print it and bring it to you. 
Very good. You can print off your phone? I'm envious. Yeah, I can print off my Very phone. Very good. But then I have to find the company printer, and I don't know if they'll let me do that. Yeah, well, uh, we will uh, take you to uh, coverage live of the assessment of the affidavit as soon as it happens. Uh, but it has not happened yet, and uh, we'll keep our eye on that one. Meanwhile, you can count the uh, auditor of the state of Ohio, Keith Faber, as a no on student loan forgiveness. Uh, story today in the Cincinnati Enquirer. Uh, he's not a fan. Not a fan of the student loan forgiveness. He says, why haven't Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, or Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez called on the federal government to stop giving loans to people? that can never be paid back. Do these leaders really think that a college degree must cost sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 a year? Better yet, what relationship is there between the degree and the jobs available to graduates with those degrees? Will the graduates be able to reasonably service that much debt? This last point is the key toward any long-term solution, not just forgiving unmanageable debt. Now, that's the other point that I didn't make yesterday, and I'm remiss in not making that point yesterday. If the government describes these loans that it's making or underwriting as predatory, as unfair, well, then why are you still making those loans? Why wouldn't you change the terms of those loans? Or why wouldn't you go to the real source of this problem, the colleges, and say, would you please justify why your tuition and the cost of attendance has gone up 1,200% since 1980? I gave you the cost of my college, which was right in that time the other day, my per quarter expenses at Ohio State as a freshman were under, were they under $1,000? Yes, 569 for room and board, 283 for academic fees. So basically 300 and 600. That's less than 1000 Three times a year, I got out for right around $11,000. Now, what is it, 30, 40 grand? In-state, a 1,200% increase? That's crazy. Uh, this, to me, seems like uh, fodder for Ron DeSantis in Florida because Ron DeSantis is the only governor that I see out there who actually picks up on questions people are asking or beliefs that people hold and says, hey, could we make some legislation out of that? Could we? I know this is a very... Very novel concept for an elected official. Could we give people what they want? Could we use our legislative power, muscle, acumen, to bring to bear a law that would answer the concerns that my voters have? This is why in Florida they have a law against indoctrinating kids into woke concepts. If we had that law here in Ohio, the teacher at the Olentangy Schools Elementary School, whose pictures I shared with you the other day on social media, advertising, I'll say it at the risk of misgendering, her pronouns as they, them. No, I will not say their pronouns as they, them. I will say her pronouns as they, them, because she is a she. She is a woman. Doesn't want to be called a woman. Too bad. If you lived in the state of Florida, but here in Ohio where Mike DeWine is not, and the legislature, I would add, supermajority Republicans, thank you very much for your do-nothingness. Do not respond to the will of the people. Get House Bill 616 passed. Get House Bill 454 passed. 
Don't even give Nationwide Children's Hospital, Cincinnati Children's Hospital, the freedom. Boy, I hate to misuse that word in that situation. But don't give them the leeway, better word, given what we're talking about. Don't give them the leeway to cut the breasts off a teenage girl. Don't give them the leeway to give puberty blockers to kids. Let's enact House Bill 454 and House Bill 616 into law. And while you're at it, let's enact the Protects Women's Sports Act. Now, we may not have to do that here in Ohio. If the Republicans can win the House and if the Republicans can win the Senate, because Marjorie Taylor Greene, um, lightning rod congressman from Georgia, has introduced a bill in Congress that would make it a felony to provide gender-affirming care to transgender minors. Now, I know Marjorie Taylor Greene is seen as a whack job, and on some things she may in fact be a whack job. But on this, she's right over the target with the bullseye locked in and her finger on the firing button. And my question is, if the Republicans won the House and if the Republicans won the Senate, would they pass this? Would we have complete agreement in the Republican Party? Because I know Biden wouldn't sign it, but could we get an entire unanimous, fully supportive Republican Party in the Congress and in the Senate to support making transgender surgery on minors a felony? A felony. Now, if you think this is not stirring up the demons in the transgender community, think again. Last night, for the second night in a row, some transgender enemy of Marjorie Taylor Greene called 911 and fabricated a violent crime at her house. The night before, it was a man who had shot someone in a bathtub. Last night, it was someone coming out as transgender and then shooting family members, and himself. So when you get a call like that at 911, the cops show up at your house wee hours of the morning, 2, 3 a.m., with their guns drawn because for all they know, according to a 911 call, somebody at that location is violent and has murdered people. So this was the second straight night. Marjorie Taylor Greene now says she's ready for it and she'll be ready if it happens the third straight night. She says she'll meet the police at the door with pizza and they'll be be invited to come in and we'll have a nice conversation. This is referred to in the uh, law enforcement community as being swatted. In other words, somebody calls 911, the SWAT team shows up, interrupts your night, scares the pajamas off of you, probably not as much on the second night as the first night because the second night you're already aware of what's going on. But this is how ugly, how ugly the left is. Make no mistake. 